0: So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 17, hear God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And so he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of the Lord shall never pass away. Blessed be our God for that truth. Well, uh, last week we considered Jonah, the prodigal child, the one who had great privileges as a prophet of the Lord, great privileges as a child of the covenant, great privileges in respecting the mercies of God. And yet, as a prodigal child, he squandered these things. He fled from the presence of the Lord. We connected that to Psalm 139, where it speaks about who is able to flee from His Spirit, who can flee from the presence of the Lord. And we recall how in that psalm, It speaks about making one's bed in hell and finding out that even there the Lord is present. Well, Jonah has made his bed in hell. I don't think he expected such a storm to come up and to be sweeping over not just him, but the lives of all of these men on the ship, realizing that as he fled from the Lord, God was bringing such a discipline against him. But as that psalm declares, as Jonah strived to flee from the presence of the Lord, he found out he could not because God's hand was upon him. And that brings more dearly, doesn't it? We, we sang a couple hymns this morning that spoke of it and, and we heard it somewhat in the message. But if, if we are in the hands of the Lord, if we are in the hand of the Father, what has Jesus said about that? That there is nothing that can snatch us out. That is, there is nothing able to come and pluck us out of His hands. And what a joy to know that as we look at Jonah's life, that that truth is before us. The thing about Jonah and why I'm highlighting this, it brings us as we consider the whole chapter tonight and Jonah being cast into the belly of the fish. The thing about Jonah being a prodigal is to understand that his prodigal actions were not due to what we often call gross moral failure. Haven't we ever looked and considered a man of God, a minister or an elder of his church who has, like David, involved himself in some deep sexual immorality or adultery and looked at this and wondered, how can such a man find himself in that situation and and through that gross moral failure become prodigal? How could that happen? Because we know that that is something that doesn't just spring up and occur. It is something that gains a foothold and it is like a yeast in, in the, the, the dough that once it's there, it begins to infect the whole and cause the whole to grow because of it. That doesn't appear to be what happened with Jonah. <laughs> Jonah also did not become prodigal due to grave theological decline, like Hymenaeus and Pilatus, who, who denied the resurrection or were teaching errors about it, that it had already happened. They were creating a hopeless theology for the church and they had to be rebuked and rebuked severely. They were handed over to Satan because of their theological decline. Not with Jonah. We get the impression he knew God. (laughs) He knew who God was like. That's going to come out as we continue on. We're going to know that the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he knew God would show them mercy. (laughs) And he was prodigal. And his prodigal actions did not arise because of flagrant denial of faith like Peter. Peter himself, when confronted with the threat of persecution, denied his Lord, behaved like Judas. And he felt the weight and the remorse of his actions, and it was something that took him time to get over. But not so with Jonah. He became prodigal because he did not like how the Lord was directing his providence in favor of Nineveh. That's why he became prodigal. He did not like the Lord's providence at work. And in becoming prodigal, his faith shipwrecked, pun intended, (laughs) in the circumstances that are before us. His spirit became disobedient to the will of God. And not only to the will of God, but to the Word of God and to the grace of God. And he turned away. He fled. And and thinking of that phrase, a shipwrecked faith. Thinking back to 1 Timothy, the series we're going through in the morning. What did Paul in an in, in implied way, stress are the characteristics of a shipwrecked faith. It, it, a shipwrecked faith has character. It has a love that has grown cold. We see that here with Jonah. He did not care about the souls of these men. As he told them why he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They rebuked Him. You read it there in verses 8-10. to They rebuked Him. Why have you done this to us? (laughs) To think that your actions are not going to affect and impact the lives of other people around you, especially when you disobey the will, word, and grace of God. That's a cold love. That is a cold love, to think that my sins are my sins and they're not going to affect the greater whole. His conscience had become weak, and we see that as hypocrisy marked his way forward. He feared the Lord in one sense, but he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord and he even says that to these sailors. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and, and the dry land. Oh, you fear the Lord? But you don't want to obey Him? You don't want to do His will? There's only one word for that. Hypocrisy. But that is A weak conscience. That is a conscience that is willing to go against what it knows is true. Because it doesn't want to do what God commands. And his faith was insincere. It is something as we read this opening chapter that it isn't until Jonah is in the belly of the whale, chapter 2, that we hear him repenting. There's a real insincerity of his faith even here as this storm is increasing in its violence and threatening the lives of these men. There's no hint of remorse for his disobedience. There's no hint of repentance to God. Jonah was a walking contradiction (laughs) of a servant of God. And why I'm stressing this and for all of us to consider as God's people, that it ought to humble us to consider how such a spiritually minded officer, if you will, this is a prophet, a man of God, who has stood in the presence of God to receive from him words of life to be spoken to the people of God. It is a humbling thing to consider a spiritually minded believer can fall away like Jonah. To even to look at our own selves and to recognize the seeds of these sins are in us. In the New Testament, there is a phrase that's used to speak of the way that the Lord deals with such prodigals. It's used in 1 Corinthians 5, it's used in 1 Timothy 1, and in a sense it's used in Luke 22 when Jesus speaks about Satan wanting to sift Peter like we, Where they are delivered unto Satan. Where they are hand it over to their destructive ways, not in the sense that they have been plucked out of the hand of God, but God hands them over to a course in life that is intended to destroy the flesh, that old Adam, that spirit of disobedience, that spirit of pride and coveting and lust. And and you see here the Lord delivering Jonah into the belly of the fish for this very purpose. Jonah, your flesh needs to be destroyed for your soul to be saved. You have to be delivered over to this for you to repent. What a frightening thing. How deep. We sometimes need to be brought in our lives to have sin destroyed, put to death in our lives. I think there's something of that in Hebrews 10 where the writer of Hebrews says to God's covenant people that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's not spoken to the world. Those words are spoken to the church, reminding us how easy it is to fall into that path where we are trampling the blood of Christ under our feet and counting the Spirit of grace and holiness, a vain thing. But in considering such a shipwrecked faith, the greater comfort is this, It's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 when he said the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. And what is the seal that is a great comfort? When we see such a one shipwrecking their faith, when we see such a one becoming prodigal, when we see what it takes to bring them to that place where they are restored and returning to the Lord, We sometimes step back and wonder, don't we, are they even a Christian? We step back and we look at such a life and we say even more, I think more desperately, how can they be a Christian? There's no hope for them. But I want to stress that when we see such a Jonah, when we see such a David, when we see such a Solomon, when we see such a Peter... (laughs) What is the greater comfort of such shipwrecked faith? It's this solid foundation, this seal of God. 2 Timothy 2.19 The Lord knows those who are His. (laughs) The Lord knows. And you know the context of those words in 2 Timothy 2 are are, are words that deal with straying from the faith. (laughs) The Lord knows those who are His. Praise God. Because as Jonah is sent into the belly of the fish, we are seeing such a one whom we would wonder is he really a true prophet of God? We know the end of these things, we know his repentance. We have the full picture before us. But if we were going through those times, we would be sitting back in, in Judah and, uh, you know, wondering. Okay, here's another one who's fallen away. What we see in that seal of the Lord, in sending Jonah into the belly of the fish, we see, first of all, that God is at work. And He's at work in this way. He has prepared the way for Jonah. It's not a pleasant way. I can't imagine what He endured for three days. It must have seemed like a lifetime. (laughs) I I can't imagine what he was just smelling for three days, let alone breathing, let alone enduring. But there he was. God was at work. God prepared this way. We read God at work in this way. You see it back in verse 4. In calling attention to Jonah's fleeing his presence, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. You know, the actual word. Sometimes I wish the English was more expressive of the actual word. The word is, the Lord hurled out a wind. <laughs> he threw it out there. And and, and we see the, how, how serious it was that as the men kept trying and struggling to, to get away from this wind the harder it became. And the more dangerous and tempestuous. We read that. It was tempestuous. It it grew in in its tempestuous nature. And then finally, again it says, and it became even more tempestuous. I would have been scared to death. But God was at work preparing the way. And we see that even in verse 17. That this wasn't happenstance. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Again, Psalm 139. All my days were planned even before there was one of them. Now that's frightening when we think about this with Jonah. (laughs) This is what he had prepared for this servant. We can smile at it. But we know that even in our sinfulness, even in our straying, the Lord has prepared the way forward. And that is because God is unwilling to allow any of His people to rest in sin. Praise be to God for that. My friends, we can rest in sin. Isn't that what Jonah was doing? Sleeping in the bottom of that boat. He got as far away from everyone as he could and went to sleep in his sinful rebellion against God. But if we are of the Lord's, if we are the sealed, if we are in that solid foundation, my friends, God is unwilling to allow you to rest in sin. Did it appear to others that Jonah's faith was straying? Did it appear to the other apostles that Peter's faith would fail? (laughs) We can hide the appearances of where we are in respect of our life and faith and walk with God from one another, but we can't hide it from God. And thanks be to God for that. The Lord knew differently. Jonah tried to rest in his disobedience. He tried to head in a different direction. He went to the bottom of the boat. He tried to be comfortable in the misery of sin, but the Lord would not let him. And he sent a great storm and prepared a great fish. Those are the words, a great storm, a great fish to unseat Jonah in his resting places. Jonah's not unique in this. You know, we experience the trials that we do in our lives. If our mind isn't going to that place of saying, Lord, is there any sin within me that you are revealing? Help me to repent. It took a while for Jonah to get there. And God was at work having prepared the way not only because He was unwilling to allow him to rest in his sin, but also because God was willing for him to experience that sting of sin. Not the sting of death, but the sting of sin, the misery of sin. Because why did God send the storm? Why did God send the fish? It's to make Jonah conscious of of his sins to remind him even in a very real way what his sin deserves death you know in in Hebrews 10 Hebrews 10 in the opening of those chapters uh, of that chapter in those opening verses god looks back i mean the writer looks back to the to the law the ceremonial law that was a shadow of the things that were to come in christ and focusing particularly on those sacrifices that had to be made every day the sacrifices that had to be made every year The sacrifices that each one had to make when known sin was in their life and they were coming to repent before God. All those sacrifices being done time and time again. And many people today in their high and mightiness look back and think, what a barbaric society, killing all those animals just to pay for their sins. But why they had that before the coming of Christ? Because it isn't until the coming of Christ that we begin to understand the depth of the punishment that our sins deserve. It's not until we look at the righteous one in whom there was no sin, dying and suffering His that punishment for our sins on that cross. Dying and suffering the wrath of God in our place. It's not until we look there that we begin to see what every sin deserves. And the sacrificial system that God had set in place was there to point Israel to that truth. Hebrews 10 verse 2, he says, For the worshippers would have had no more consciousness of sin. Apart from this, we need to be reminded often of what every sin deserves. And the storm, and especially that That great fish, when Jonah found himself in the belly of that great fish, these were things that brought a real consciousness of sin to Jonah. He starts to begin to realize in verse 12, he says, I know that this great tempest is because of me. My friends, do you realize how hard it is for us to come to this confession of sin in our lives? I know, and I know it in my own life, and I know it pastorally, that we spend far more time pleading our innocence, or pleading the guilt of others, or justifying our actions, or setting the blame on everyone else, long before we come to this place of saying, Oh God, what a stupid thing I did we spend far more time, don't we? Sin is the venom of death, one man said. And Jonah was experiencing that sting. Have you ever experienced it? You know, the danger being in those moments, when such things come upon us, when such providence unfolds in such a way where God is is striving to bring death to sin in our lives, the danger is that our hearts grow hard. And there's where this becomes a reminder to all of us to look to the Lord in that humility of repentance. Repentance. And instead of crying out, I don't deserve this. It's not my fault. It's their actions. Well, this isn't as bad as you're making it out. Humility to cry out, Oh God, I hate what I have done against your glory. Have mercy on me. God is at work. He's prepared this way for that purpose. And not only is God at work in that way, God is at work to crucify the flesh. He prepares the way to crucify the flesh. And again, we understand that Jesus takes up Jonah to speak about his own death, how he must be one who dies and finds himself in the grave for three days. He reminds us through Jonah's experience of what it takes to crucify the flesh. And crucifying the flesh to any sin any disobedience, any iniquity is never a simple, painless process. (laughs) Let's take up those words that are common in any of us who have any life experience in Christ. How many of us have confessed Galatians 2.20? I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. Have you really been? (laughs) Now, if you are in Christ, yes, you have. But do you understand the depth of those words? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's going to be (laughs) hunky-dory. And that's how I think many Christians come away saying that verse. Because God loves me, my life forward is going to be one of ease and simplicity. No! (laughs) Because that crucifying work of Christ in our lives has just begun. Paul goes on in Galatians to say in Galatians 6, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by, by whom what? By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what it means. That there is now a work ongoing in my life where the Lord is crucifying in my flesh sin. It's a once-for-all thing, but it's a daily, daily path. God is at work to crucify the flesh. He's at work to deal with rooted sin and lust and pride in our life. We call this sanctification. And Let me ask you and challenge you in this. Because we understand, do we not, dear Christians, that this work of sanctification is the work of God's free grace and His Spirit in us. Where as He is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, what is He doing? What is that process of becoming more and more like Christ? It's learning to die, to put to death sin in our lives, and to bring forth righteousness. It's a daily experience. And let me challenge you this, all of you who are watching as well. Are you conscious of particular sins that God is crucifying in you right now? Are you? You should be. You should be realizing through the experiences of the hand of God because He's not wanting you to carry on in sin. He, he's a, He's a gracious God in that He doesn't come and explode upon you to deal with every single sin in your life. Putting it to death in this way, you would be a harried person. You'd be like one of those wet dogs that comes in, shakes himself, and his fur's—you know—it's like his hair is just standing out like this, stressed beyond measure. He doesn't deal with us in that way, but he does deal with sin every day in our lives. And are you conscious of this? We need to be, and I think we need to be conscious to to a measure to realize that there are deep-rooted sins that I struggle with. Some have been put to death, but others are just being revealed by the mercy of God. Thank you. But am I aware? And seeing His hand at work, and it's consoling, it's consoling because even as God brings us to sometimes these places, not not to the degree of Jonah, but to the degree maybe of Peter, where we are mourning and grieving and we feel like we've got a weighted uh, rock upon our shoulders, we feel like we are in the bottom of the pit and are looking up. God, in dealing with our rooted sin and lust and pride, He's not wanting us to be there. We heard it in our confession of repentance. He's wanting us to apprehend the mercies he has in Christ. He wants us to turn and find life. And we're going to see as we go into chapter 2. Jonah did The consolation we have is that this is not a pit of eternal death. Christ has borne that for us. He has been crucified in our place. But we are and have been crucified with Christ. So that the world may be crucified to us and us to it. And God is at work. And if you are His, He's at work in your life for this every day. And the last thing that we see with Jonah here, as he has gone into the belly of the fish, is that God is at work to uphold His glory. And we see that. We see that before these men who have tried to save Jonah's life and were so reluctant to do what was necessary to quell the storm, that God even worked through the sins of Jonah to make His glory known. Now, that's not any sense of approval for pragmatic evangelism. (laughs) We're not to be parading our sins for God to be glorified. God works in and through them for His glory. We do not sin that grace may abound. To use the phrase, we do not put the baby into dirty bathwater. <laughs> and I say that because so often we like to say, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I say, don't put the baby in that dirty water. We're not doing that. But you see here, what is the testimony, the prayer of these men as they throw Jonah over at the end of verse 14? You, O Lord, have done as it pleased You. And in Jonah's sacrifice, even as he is here, yet unrepentant, Jonah backslidden, prodigal from the Lord. God is pleased to use him to testify of the greater one, Jesus Christ. Even as they are reluctant at first to believe and accept that Jonah's death is the only means of their deliverance. Did you notice the change in these sailors? And how by appearances they found faith in God. Look at the progression of their fear. In verse 5, they were afraid of the ship breaking apart. As it grew and as they understood the reasons for the storm, they became exceedingly afraid of Jonah's presence. Verse 10, but then as they cast him overboard... As they prayed to the Lord. Verse 14. We pray, O Lord. They're praying. And that word, Lord, is Yahweh. They're praying to the true God. They have abandoned their gods. And they are now praying to the living God. It's at this point, when Jonah is cast over, the raging sea ceases. Verse sixteen: The men feared the Lord and offered sacrifices to him. They begin to worship God. Now, some speculate: Did these men really become true believers? Isn't that what we always do when someone is is converted? And we know their past life, and we isn't it something that goes through our minds when we step back and we say, "Yeah, well, let let's wait and see if it's real." Do do we not know God? Do we not want to step forward in that mercy of God to say to such a one, praise the Lord? That through this life and death experience of Jonah, they came to see the power and holiness of God. Notice what they did. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. They came to know the infinite, eternal, sovereign God of glory. Probably with a mustard seed faith. But what did Jesus say about such faith? <laughs> you can move a mountain. <laughs> and there we see, my friends, that what it takes from us is not grandiose measures in our life. It's not grandiose faith. Even in the frailty of our sins, with humility and repentance, God works to uphold His glory. And all it took was Jonah to be cast into the belly of a great fish. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Wow! How humbling! that God often reveals the glory of His salvation through such ways. May we be humbled in our own hearts as we look at the life of Jonah to realize how God deals with sin. But He deals with sin because He knows those who are His own. And He is looking for His glory. To be accomplished in our lives. May you know this. Let us pray.